The Silly Goose Gang Podcast. Awesome. So we are back in with episode 76 of the Silly Goose Gang Podcast. Um, we're really honoured and delighted to be joined this evening and this afternoon by Coach Tony Blower. So, Coach, thanks very much for joining us today. Yeah, great, great to be here, guys. And and uh, uh, it, it's it's funny, we were talking before we started recording about your accents and do I need subtitles and uh, uh, a translator, but, uh, but I'm, I'm good and, and it's and it's cool. I have a lot of like, like, I used to come to the UK every year, okay. sometimes twice a year for decades. Uh, and, you know, I'd, I'd go up to Scotland. I'd, uh, um, I played St. Andrews years ago, horribly. Uh, but, uh, but I love, I love where you're from and the accent is, uh, it's, it's romantic. Uh, it's, I, I feel I I feel very close to both of you right now. Well, we you know we're, we're off camera. We're holding hands, Tony. We're really romantic. ourselves. <laughs> I suppose as well, we need to give a big shout out to our friend. I believe we have a bit of a mutual friend, Marcus Torgerson. Yeah, yeah. The second time we had Marcus on. In fairness, the first time we had Marcus on, he said we should read out to you. And we thought, ah, we'll give another few episodes. And then we had him on again at the start of the year. And he's like, have you idiots contacted Coach Blower yet? And we said, no. Yeah. Said, idiots, get it. Yeah, he's, he, he, he's, he's a great guy. Very, very funny. Uh, he, um, his, his, let's talk about him for a second. His, uh, I've, I've, I did some, some gigs in Arizona and he came, uh, to that and we hung out, we went to dinner and he is super sharp and super funny. And, but his online persona is, 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 is deeper and more about self-development and, and, and it's just, you know, his self-defense side, but there's another side to him. He's, he's fucking very sharp and, and funny, super intelligent and way funnier and you should probably exploit more of that online uh yeah, like we, to, yeah. we we love marcus he's uh he's awesome and he's, he's helped us um without being asked which is always cool so where um where, where do you guys know each other from how far back do you guys go we used to date just like you guys you know we were we broke up but we're oh, still so. friends uh no the uh uh this is the silly goose body right so oh, i can do the silly goose right oh, okay hell yeah. yeah so uh um we I, I we've just known each, of each other like through the industry. I mean, anybody who's uh, um, super serious about self defense, you kind of know the names. But you know, we've got mutual friends, and we just started chit chatting online. And then I had him. I did. I had him on my No Fear podcast, and uh, I had a really interesting talk with him. And uh, it. Uh, it was I'm 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 hesitating only because some of what we talked about was personal and I just I didn't know if I wanted to bring it up, but there was there there was some uh, parts of our conversation where I felt that he was self too self deprecating, and uh, and so I challenged him on it live, not knowing how that would go like it was on the Zoom call right, and and I thought it was very impactful but it made a, it brought us. I think it, it 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 created a type of bond and rapport that we joked about, and we haven't done it. Uh, that we should just do like a grumpy old man's podcast where we just bitch about martial artists and and douchebags. 
uh, and it's just the two of us, like those those characters on Sesame Street, where we're sitting on a rocking chair going, "Fuck this!" Like in our day, we couldn't get away with that shit, right? But uh, no, he's he's uh, he's a really he's a really good human. Yeah, he is. He's a, a, a fantastic character, and uh, yeah, I think we we made an agreement when we spoke to him in uh, January. We opened up twenty twenty two speaking to Marcus, and we just said we'll open up every year as long as we keep ah. doing it, we'll open up every year with marcus because uh yeah we fucking love that that's guy. excellent that's yeah, excellent we like, we like that guy so yeah so yeah i'm like i'm just i'm just looking at you i was just paying attention there to your um to your t-shirt there tony um spear university awesome yeah i would have to grab one of those where can i get one of those well you can uh, email me your address and uh we'll see if um we'll see if Somehow the uh, U.S. Postal Service will send you one. Let's see how turn. Let's see how this show turns out. And okay. before, if it if it's shit, I'll sell it to you. If it's good, I'll send you. Have I told you that you're really handsome? Uh, this one shirt free right away. That's one shirt for free. Um, uh, yeah, no, we've got a bunch of we got a bunch of you know I've got the shirt I always wear. I'm trying to see if I have one lying around here. We got some inventory in the garage here. Um, the one I always wear, uh, on most podcasts is my no fear shirt spelled K N O W. And, uh, because I'm usually like, I think that, that at the end of the day, most people don't realize how fear interferes with everything they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it can drive you, but a lot of it, a lot of fear just creates doubt and hesitation. And we waste time, we procrastinate. And of course, time is the only resource we can't regenerate. So it's like, hey, should we do this? Should we not? Let's think about it. Well, and I'm not talking about deliberating or sleeping on, you know, an email and reading it again in the morning. I'm talking about like, 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 like actionable fear. You see somebody at a bar, you go out. I think she looked at me. I can't, you know, and then someone else walks up and asks her for a date or, or you wait too long on, on a business idea and then someone else beats you to market or you're standing in a, let's turn it into self-defense. You're going, I should do something. I should run right now. I'm too scared. Don't. And then all of a sudden, boom, like, it, like violence loves speed. So, so my big thing as, as uh, you know, I've been teaching now 43 years, studying violence, fear and aggression and, and have created like several several tangible programs used by tier one military uh, uh swat teams armed response all the way down to bodyguards uh you know our systems all through the uk every constabulary in the uk teaches uh teaches the firearms close protection and with that kind of legacy you think well you know what's your favorite course is it your operator course is it your ground fighting course multiple sale my fear management that as I get older, if I had to pick just one thing to teach people, it's how to look at fear differently, how to lean into fear, how to, and it doesn't mean like you, you study it and then you have no fear, like no fear, which is why we have the slogan or the, or the name, the branding, no fear. You got to lean in and get to know it and understand it and, and, and then use it. But all of this rant is about this idea of, uh, you know, I've created a, like, like, a, like probably the world's first behaviorally based self-defense system, spontaneous protection, enabling accelerated response. That's what SPEAR stands for. And it's about weaponizing the startle flinch. And everybody has hardwired in them a startle flinch. And, uh, 
but it's fear that triggers a startle flinch. And when you flinch, it's fear management that makes you front towards enemy, face the bad guy. It's fear management that makes you run for cover. And it's fear management that makes you charge the threat. And, uh, and so I'm going to end my rant here, but just like, if you said to me, you can only pick one course the rest of your life, you know, is it the gun course? Is it the hand to hand course? Is it the, I'd go, it's our no fear program. Cause if you don't manage your fear, you don't manage to fight. You can't give yourself permission to engage in business, a relationship or managing violence. If you don't, if you don't understand how to control your fear. Yeah. I mean, I've I've competed uh, boxing and jiu-jitsu, Tony, at um, quite a decent level. And, um, you know, when you speak to some young guys in the gym and they, they, you ask them if they're, you know, scared or, you know, they have some fear about fighting. And the ones that say no, right. you just, you're full of shit. Because everybody's got that fear. You know, if you're fighting, it's um, it's a real thing. And the, and the fear can be twofold like you're saying you know it could be the thing that um that uh, drives you but it can also be the thing that stops you pulling the trigger you know if you're if you're in there and you you know just that split second you know i think about it in terms of like looking down the barrel of a gun and not yeah. taking opportunities because you're just thinking about it too long what's coming back you know yeah. i'm gonna get i'm gonna get my nose broken and that's what stops you pulling the trigger so yeah the, the i think the, the fear uh is is a massive part in in fighting you know self you know if you want to call it uh, you know self-defense or fighting however you want to talk about it but such a massive part uh, yeah i don't i don't know if you guys saw obviously i agree with you i don't know if you guys saw you know in the last year a lot of interviews with george st pierre and arguably one of the greatest mma fighters ever uh anecdotally uh an old uh, acquaintance of mine a uh, friend of mine uh, he's from Montreal. That's where I used to live. Um, in fact, when before he was Rush St. Pierre, I gifted him some of our high gear to uh, practice his ground and pound with David Loiseau back at the old TriStar gym. So it's kind of like a like a funny history. He used to bow to me in his cute Kushinkai karate gi. He'd be in the karate class in another room. And because I was in the magazines, I was on magazine covers and all that shit. You know, he'd see me and he'd go, Sensei Blauer. And I, and we never, like, I always trained in the, like t shirts and shorts. We didn't, we didn't make people bow and, and anything like that. So it was always, you know, when he got into MMA and then became Rush St. Pierre, it was kind of cool to obviously like, oh, wow, I knew this guy when, you know, he was, you know, still, still showing up in the gi. But all of that to say, in recent interviews, he would say over and over again, the, the worst day of his life was fight day. He was so scared. Every time Mike Tyson used to throw up before his fights, he'd cry before some fights. A lot of people, if you're not like a, like a, like a hardcore historian junkie, you don't know that you see, a, you see pictures of Tyson throwing body shots to people in uppercuts. If I said to you like, Hey, 15 minutes ago, that guy was puking in a little pail in his room over because of fear, you'd think I was full of shit. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're, you're, you're abs absolutely right, man. Um, the, the people that go, I'm not afraid of anyone, fuck that. Uh, they're obviously, you know, they're compensating for some sort of, uh, some sort of fear. And that's yeah. not a challenge. It's just this idea that really quiet people who have their shit together, yeah. you know, are, are they're, they're much more capable in many regard because they're in control of their skill set 
and their decision making. That's not to say that somebody, you know, there's a lot of scared cowards that are very dangerous, mm. yeah, right? Because yeah. they're running around with a gun or a knife or a crowbar or or they get, you know, whatever. But but yeah, you know, uh, there's a great Customato quote. He was uh, Tyson's original trainer, but the, it's it's quite long. But this, to paraphrase it, he says, you know, um, that fire can warm you and cook your food, but if you don't understand it and it's not used properly, it can also burn you. It can burn down your home, right? It, it can kill you. So it's it's understanding that heat, and of course, the the the, the fire metaphor here is fear. Yeah, I know. Um... Uh, a, a friend of mine, a guy that I used to spar with, I was about the only person that would spar with him when we were boxing. He punched like a fucking truck, and it didn't make. You know, one of those guys who it doesn't make sense. And he, he was all he could not control nerves. He never really did anything. I, I seen him knocking people out in the gym, cold, cold, one punch knockouts in the gym with sixteen ounce gloves on, and. um he could not control his nerves and he didn't do anything because of those nerves. And I can remember thinking like, man, if, if I fucking hit like you, right? It just, I, I wouldn't be scared of anything because he right. had that, you know, I always thought I would have liked to have, you know, held pads for, you know, whoever modern guys, you know, Deontay Wilder, Gennady Golovkin, any of these guys that really hit hard to go, how, how, what's the comparison? Because he had that, you know, right. He, he would put, he would jab you on your arm, on your forearm, and you'd go fucking hell, like it was outrageous power, and he could not control nerves, so he didn't do anything, and it yeah. just think, you just think, man, you can, you can, you can see that at the at the highest level. You see that in golf, you see that in boxing, but you also see that in business. You see that in, you know, um, I'm not a good guitarist, but I, I I love music, and I used to play guitar. And I would take lessons and my guitar instructor back in Montreal, my guitar instructor, is that, is that what you call it? Guitar? I guess teacher. so. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just sounded weird as I said it. Guitar instructor <laughs> was like my self-defense instructor and my guitar instructor got in a fight. But it was just this. Um, and he was a studio musician, really cool guy. His name is Mark. And, uh, you know, I remember when uh, uh, Dire Straits hit the scenes, right? And, and, and released the, you know, the, the original hits. And uh, I remember coming in and going, dude, have you heard like this guy, Mark Knopfler play like this Dire Straits, I think are art. And he goes, no. And I like, like I, I play the song and immediately like he can play it. He just, he was one of those guys. You hear it and he's playing the chords and then he's doing the solo and any song and because he was and he was a studio guy, so he played on like a Sting album when Sting recorded up in Montreal and shit like he was that good and uh, and cool, you know. And I looked at him and I said, I said, dude, why aren't you a rock star? Like you're so fucking amazing. And he said, you know, like, well, my wife works and I take care of the kid and I don't do drugs and I don't like parties and all of that. And that was a good answer for me. I was in my like late twenties at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a young dad and I went, what a cool answer. Yeah. But then years later I realized who would want to be a fucking rock star. The, like there are rock stars that don't do drugs and don't go to parties or go and then leave at 11. Right. In other words, and I'm hypothesizing, I've lost contact with him, but I, I think it was more of a, of an unconscious unresolved fear of 
Would I do drugs? Would I get lost? Would I get divorced? Would I become that absentee father? Because that's a that's a story like for, you know, uh, 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 pro fighters, uh, you know, really, really successful entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, third wife, two heart attacks, you know, like 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 you success really corrupts people. Um, but what is that? You know, like to me, when you peel that onion, it comes down to what are you afraid of? Like, like just yeah. where's your integrity? Just do the right thing. If I drink too much, I actually get funnier. I know that's hard to believe, but oh, yeah. if, if I, <laughs> and better looking, just FYI, whoever wants a free yeah. t-shirt. Um, but, but what I'm saying is like, when, when I, when I, if I drink, it amplifies the qualities I want to be. I'm, yeah. I'm nice. I'm funny. I don't know if that sounds obnoxious on a show, but I know people that when they drink, it's like they, they turn into complete assholes. Oh um, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's the same thing with money. It's the same thing with fear. Right. And, and, yeah. uh, uh, I think, um, quite a lot of that is self-sabotaging. I yeah. really believe that as, uh, you know, people, um, you know, fun, I was talking about this, uh, just recently, uh, in the sauna after the swimming session, and we we're talking about, you know, similar people we know. And I was talking about one guy in particular who would always start something, you know, Muay Thai, boxing, Jiu-Jitsu, and get good at it quite quickly. And they just move on to something else. And I think it was, didn't really want to compete. And it would just self-sabotage yourself. Yeah. Um, just stop. I don't know if it's a fear of failure. I don't know what the inner workings of that is, but yeah. I think... Um, it will be a, a fear of success. The fear of success, they can't deal with the pressure. I don't yeah. know what it is, but um, so we we have a like a, a you know a, a hard to believe this, but in Scotland is a you know a, a real drinking culture, and everybody yep. knows uh, everybody knows some young guys who are normally football, soccer, who are unbelievably talented and ruined the whole thing from from drinking when they were 16, 17 years old. Yeah, it's a real Scottish culture thing where we have some really good athletes who fucking throw it all away. And I think it's a, a, a fear of failure, uh, maybe a fear of not quite being good enough. And it, it, it ruins so many careers. It's, 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 yeah, it's, no, it's, it's, it's huge. And it's, it's, it's one of the things like, so, you know, I've been studying the psychology of fear. Uh, I mean, my whole life, uh, I didn't realize I was on that journey. But as a young, young kid, you know, I was afraid uh, uh, like I was a really good wrestler, but I hated competing. I didn't understand the adrenaline, the physiology changes, the shallow breathing, bless you. And, um, uh, I was, I grew up on skis. You, you know, if you're living in Canada, you're a, either a hockey player or a skier. Mm -hmm. And, um, in my family was a ski family and I got really, really good. I mean, competitive skiing and, I skied my ass off all the time, but I never won a race. Every time there was a race, I'd catch a tip or ski off the course because I couldn't, I couldn't control myself. And I was sabotaging, accessing that flow state. But I know now it was this performance anxiety that I had. And whether, whether it was specifically, I didn't want to let my parents down, my team down. Was I really this good? Was I, was I didn't think I, it doesn't matter and I, I, I use these generic examples because when you peel the onion, what you're left with, with is I'm afraid of something. And then it's for you 
to through your own introspection to figure out what that is. Uh, and, and that's really how, I'll use a big fancy word here, people self-actualize. That's how you become <clears throat> the best version of yourself is like, what do I really love? What is my purpose? Excuse me. <clears throat> Clear my throat. Um, and then, you know, to, to go back to what you're saying is like, like this guy could have been a, a pro footballer, but he's in trouble with the law. He's getting in fights every Friday night. He's, he's um, there's, there's something that we're not teaching kids. And this is one of my big missions now is getting our no fear program into the hands of parents. Mm. Uh, and I got asked recently by uh, um, a guy who's, he's become a good friend of, uh, of mine, but he's my tattoo guy in Vegas. And uh, he had a 10 year old son. He calls me up a few months ago and he says uh, his boy Salem is developing anxiety from all the mandates and the masks and and he's got to play sports with masks on it's it's going on two years he hasn't seen anyone's face uh and uh he said will your no fear program help him and i said well i don't know your son but you're afraid for your son right he goes yeah i go there you go bingo so the no fear program's for who it's for the person that has the self-awareness to go, I'm worried because worry is part of the, it's part of the fear umbrella, fear bucket, if you will. Yeah. And I, and I said, listen, you're, you're his dad. You can have your son raised by a communist teacher or a Marxist teacher or a socialist teacher. I mean, who knows what he's getting exposed to in school. Mm-hmm. We know that's a real problem. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I said, so if you're not homeschooling, you're his coach, you're his dad, you're his mentor. So you do the program and then guide your son. Anyways, he, 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 he gets the program. And uh, I was in Vegas a couple months ago. I sat down and uh, he hands me a handwritten letter. I got it in my office. I'll run and grab it if you want to. But it's, it's from this 10-year-old boy saying thank you for this program. And, you know, one of our big lines in it, one of our big reframes in the program is this idea that you can't be brave if you're not afraid, that the primary ingredient in courage is fear. If, if you're not afraid of something and you do it, can we, can we call that courageous? Of course not. Yeah. But if you're afraid to do something, whether it's step in the ring, whether it's assert yourself, give a speech, uh, 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 quit your job, start your own company. That takes courage. So you need, there's going to be fear. So it's like, it's, it's, it's wonderful. You can't be brave if you're not afraid. And it's reminding average people and not just average, because like, you know, uh, Tyson will say it now and St. Pierre and Navy SEALs and like people who aren't being macho about it will go, yeah, we're afraid, but we know we need to do the job anyhow. Yes, so we yes. do the job afraid. And that's the message. But the, the, the point of this here is, is that had I been exposed to this as a kid, I'd have won some ski races because I was that good. Had I been exposed as a kid, I'd have run, won some wrestling tournaments because I was amazing in practice. I wasn't the last kid picked, you know, but I'd go out there and I'd be like, why am I so fucking scared? And I was confusing anticipation anticipation of of the the violence and the activity 
with skill. Yeah. And that's what happens to the footballer or the boxer, like your friend with the big hands. Yeah. He was confusing the nerves that he felt with the skill that he had. Just and 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 you know this, like athletes are so superstitious, right? So I've coached fighters and they're like, oh fuck, I forgot my lucky, my lucky this and I lucky socks or lucky wraps. And I'm like, dude, your left hook has nothing to do with your socks. Trust me. Right. But if the athlete thinks he does, that's where his head's going. But that's fear. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I was, I was, uh, I talk. Oh, wait, wait, we froze up there. Yeah. You're back. Oh, I was, I was going to say there, uh, Tony, yeah, froze briefly, but I was at a talk, uh, two weeks ago by, uh, Jason Fox, who's a, an SAS soldier, I think you can still hear us, um, and he was saying it's your body gets you to the battlefield, it's your brain that wins you the battle, which seems to tie in very closely with what you're saying, like the idea of, you know, controlling that fear, that adrenaline dump is a key part of the process, whatever you're doing, and, and like you're yeah. saying, I, I publicly speak for a lot as a trainer, and a lot of people have a fear of standing up in front of people and speaking. So some people are like, oh, I can't believe you do that. But for me, there's no nerves. There's no fear because it's what I do day in, day out. So you're right. right. It's not brave. It's not courageous. I'm comfortable doing it. But right. for someone who has that anxiety of stepping up, and I see it when I'll say to them, you've got to go up and present to the group your findings of whatever. And you see the people not holding the paper or their, their hands are sweating. And for them, yeah. it's it's a brave Although it's a small act in the grand scheme, yeah. it's a brave act because they're nice. It's, listen, you, you can practice courage. So two things with the SAS quote, you know, there, there's there's an old from from like just in neuroscience in general, the mind navigates the body. There's a lot of people say, oh, muscle memory. There's no such thing as muscle memory in the literal sense. You got neural patterns. Neural patterns are are you know you've trained your neuron. You got a myelin sheet that helps the signal speed. Blah 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 blah. Neuroscience. But there's no there's no if I cut off my arm and I put a gun in my hand, it's not going to shoot shoot somebody because it's not attached to my body there's no muscle memory in the literal sense and i use that graphic example because we've got to be attached to the problem I, I i like to tell people no awareness no chance but it's the mind that navigates the body so i agree with the your your uh was it jason you said the sas yeah, guy jason, yeah, jason, yeah. Yeah. jason you know um it but part of that and, and this is this was my exploration over the last few decades is there's all these really like like amazingly inspirational people like Jason and other people. Um, you know, you, you can love or hate Tyson, but, you know, he'll tell you, you got to make friends with fear. You got to do, you know, you got to, but un unless people who go through it and then acknowledge it, inspire us. What I realized was there were like, there were thousands and thousands of people that aren't the unicorns in the industry, like Tyson's a unicorn, St. Pierre's a, a, a unicorn. Um, you know, I got a, a, a buddy of mine, Mike Ritland, he's a retired Navy SEAL. I was on his show, you know, long form uh, podcast, the mic drop. And uh, we were talking about fear. And, and he said, you know, it, that anybody who, uh, who like, you know, who says they weren't afraid during battle is just lying, you know, that, he says, we'd be stacked outside a house. We knew everyone in the house was going to try and kill us. Mm -hmm. And we still went in and we were scared, but we were trained. And this is what we signed up for. So you went and did it. Yeah, um, yeah. 
So, but it's, it's an interesting thing, but you hear stuff like that, but the average person, like I consider somebody who goes through hell week, becomes a Navy SEAL, a unicorn compared to the rest of the population. They've done something and they've created an emotional, psychological adaptation. And, and, and uh, to Jason's point, the people that get through that type of selection training have stronger minds. It's not the person with the best body. It's the person with a strong mind. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, all of this stuff resonates. And, and uh, I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, you know, when you say, hey, like I'm very comfortable talking to, and you know this number one fear in the world for most people is public speaking. Not getting dragged to a secondary crime scene and then raped and murdered. It's public speaking. And 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 I so I make this joke sometimes when I when I'm doing my talk on fear management, especially to let's say uh, university students or or like a you know a younger population. I go, hey, what's your number one fear? They're all public speaking. I go, not date rape, not getting abducted, not they're like, I would you rather make a speech or get murdered? And they're like, well. And, it, and I get that blunt and that graphic with them just to show them like how ridiculous that is. And then I break it down, but I tell people, cause I like to be honest. Um, I'm not afraid of speaking. I've been doing it for years, but I also have, I qualify that by, by if I'm truly honest, it depends who's in the audience. Mm -hmm. It depends how big the audience is. So if I change, and I use this example, I go, you know, what's the difference between swimming in a pool, swimming in the ocean off of Bermuda, coast of Bermuda, or swimming in a lake in northern Scotland? And, you know, people start thinking Bermuda Triangle, Loch Ness Monster. And, and, and like, so I'll get the group, I'll go like, what do we know about lakes in Scotland? And then someone will go Loch Ness Monster. I go, yeah. So, you know, you're about to go skinny dipping in the lake and it says, watch out for the Loch Ness Monster. And you're like, is this fucking for real? And then a Bermuda Triangle, airplanes and ships have disappeared in here. There's some spooky shit that goes on here. What happens? And now I go, so what's the difference? And people start saying, oh, riptide, sharks, stingrays, monsters. And I go, there is no difference. The swimming is the swimming. Mm -hmm. What changes is what you're imagining. Yep. And if you're imagining death, doom, and destruction, that's going to affect your thinking and your breathing. And now suddenly you're like, <clears throat> and that changes everything. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interest. It's to me, it's the most interesting thing. And it's kind of like my, the next chapter uh, in my business and my life is is really trying to inspire people to rethink fear uh, and realize that that it it can be that fuel to 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 piggyback on the customata quote how do i use fear to light the way meaning it's it's i'm going to light it up and it's going to fucking expose shit in me get out of my comfort zone um and it and it could be health fitness finance relationship violence you know, we don't wake up, we're not going to, no one on this call wakes is going to wake up tomorrow going, you know, I hope something fucking insane happens today so I can practice my resilience, right? Like, you don't, you don't want any bad shit happening. But as soon as that happens, you get a fear spike, you get a fear spike, you either start hesitating and thinking the worst, or you go, okay, I got to research this, I got to figure this shit out. And that's and that's that that's the whole idea of leaning into fear. But what uh, you know, uh, 
I, I'll come back to the the swimming part because that's interesting. Um, but go, but you know, just what you're talking about, the fear thing. So, what I would always say is, I can always remember and um, having boxing matches, and that moment, and, and, and it happened every single every single fight. I had you know 24, and um, nice. The point where you know your coach would put your mouthpiece in, and you would always take a big deep breath and kind of go. <sighs> Right. Okay, it's time to fucking go. And then right. you'd be nervous thinking, fuck what would happen? You know what this happens, this happens, this happens. The referee would call you together, touch gloves, and as soon as you threw the first punch, it was business. It then yep. everything became I'm not nervous anymore. This is exactly what we're trained for, and I'm fucking good at this shit. Right. So the point where it was nervous, you take the big deep breath, and then it's it's time to go. And I would imagine this is how you know you're talking about um your friend um, who's got the is it the Mike drop the mic podcast? Mike yeah, Mike Redlin. Yeah, I've listened to that before because he had um, our buddy Jason Gardner was on that, and uh, you know, so I listened to that one. So I've listened to his podcast. You know, it's that same moment. It will they will have the same moment uh, outside somebody's door in Afghanistan or Iraq, going these fucking people in here want to kill me. They hate everything that I stand for, and there will be that same moment when there's a big deep breath. Sure. Somebody kicks a door in and it's game time. Let's fucking do it. Yeah. Now, the consequences are different. I might get knocked out. They might get shot. There's a big yeah, difference. I mean, but what you're talking about is interesting. And I'll point out for, for, for your listeners and you, and you probably know this, but there's when, when you do a long, slow exhale, what you're doing is, is you're cueing and stimulating your parasympathetic nervous system. So you got your 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 SNS, your sympathetic nervous system, and that's your like you know let's go, and then parasympathetic. So you don't want to be meditative in a fight. You don't want to be like, okay, just give me a minute. Don't punch me yet. Don't stab me yet. I'm like meditate. Like you don't want to be in that parasympathetic state. But there's that moment. You see this every fighter when they get off a chair, when they get off like you know the uh, okay you know Bing the 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 in between the the bell the bell goes in between the round. They get up off their chair and they're like. And they, they you, and that becomes a ritual, like a cueing of your body, mm-hmm. um, and every, and everyone will do it. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. if if I've got a, uh, you know, I had a big big meeting uh, yesterday, and I've been working on uh, uh, work on this for like two years, and here we are, another meeting, and I said to my wife, I said, okay, I got to go to this meeting, and uh, I said, wish me luck, and she says, good luck. And, you know, I don't really believe in luck, but I, you know, it's just part of the ritual and, uh, you know, you're prepared or you're not. And, and, uh, and, uh, but as I walked in my office, I did this. I, I, I remember now, cause you said it, I remember going because yeah. I like, I, I know I do a lot of meditation and breathing. I know that that slower exhale calms your nervous system. Mm-hmm. And, and if, you know, I could jump on the podcast, you know, I could come in here like this, I'm late and I go, oh, sorry, sorry guys, I'm sorry I'm late. You know, the dogs were doing this and I'm like, and you go, okay, take a deep breath, Tony. Like you would, you would naturally tell me, take a deep breath. If you guys have kids. Yep, three of them. Yeah, any others that you, you don't know of maybe, but anyways, awesome. we don't talk about it. Skip awesome. over that, skip over that. Um, but you know, when, when you're, when you're, you intuitively as a parent, if your kid hits their head or, or falls down and they're like, you don't want them to hyperventilate, you're going, Hey, take a deep breath. Cause we just know we, our nervous system does that, but it's a, 
you know, um, uh, it, it's 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 funny. A, a few years ago, when I when I had my uh, a pretty serious neck injury, um, and I really started to study breathing because it it would put pressure on my vagus nerve, and it would develop anxiety. Like I'd be fine. Like this morning, I was I was beating the shit out of Bob uh, before the podcast, and if I throw shit too hard, I can I can compress it there. So like right now, my neck's jacked up. Um, and it, it puts pressure on the vagus nerve. And if I don't control my breathing, my nervous system just thinks something's wrong. So it just starts to speed shit up. And I've got to, dude, there's nothing wrong. It's fucking yeah. right. And so uh, that's just like, uh, uh, you know, sharing, uh, transparent, being transparent with your audience, sharing some shit. Everybody listening to this needs to study intentional breathing. Uh, until I did, I never realized I was always in super, super shape anaerobically. I, I was, uh, you know, three, four years ago, I was out in Perth working with some military dudes. You know, I, I'm, I'm 61 now. So I was like 57 years old and I'm doing stuff with like 28, 30 year old tactical athletes. And we'd finish like a, like a tactical multiple assailant drill and they're breathing hard and I'm not. Like my, <clears throat> my event specific fitness is insane. Cause I've been doing it for 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I always took aerobic efficiency and aerobic capacity for granted. Cause I was always doing these, you know, explosive scenarios and you develop a, a, a sports specific skill set. And then when this happened, I was like, holy shit. And I started to get into that. And now all my athletes that I coach, all the people that I coach, I go, it, it, it's almost like, like, where are they? You ever use those captains of crush hand grips? You ever hear those? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like these guys here, they I think they've got five or seven levels, but there's something like, like, I think maybe like, like, a, like a dozen people in the world can close a number five. It's it just it's they're they're so ins insanely uh, uh, difficult and strong, but you know you can have strong hands from fighting and doing push-ups, but you can also augment that by by doing grip strength and doing you know picking up rocks and carrying around farmers carry. So in the same way, we don't realize we can strengthen our lungs and our breathing and our parasympathetic control by doing intentional breathing. So sorry to hijack the call. But no, it's, it's, it's a life. It's a life changing. It's a life changing thing that everyone can squeeze in. You know, five minutes a day to do. I don't get out of bed without uh, uh, doing a whole breathing routine. So just to, 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 to this ties in beautifully, actually, um, mostly because I'm really smart. But um, <laughs> and good looking. And good looking. <laughs> just um, when you're talking about, <clears throat> like you, you know, you're talking about this morning, you have to take a deep breath and kind of go, "You're okay." So I do, uh, you know, some open water swimming um, training just now for one of the hardest extreme iron distance triathlons in the world. And there's this moment, there's been moments in a in a, in a lock or in the sea where things are getting a little bit of shitty, and you you've took some water on, and you have to have that quick moment to go and breathe to go. You're okay, I'm fine. Yeah, but, but there's a moment of panic where you go fuck. Right. And, and, you can't touch your, your your feet. Can't touch the bottom. You're not in the swimming pool. You can't hold on to the side. 
there isn't a lifeguard and you have to have that fucking quick moment of clarity to relax right. um, oh you know you know, or, or you know you take some uh, water into a goggle you know you've had a wave your goggle gets displaced you get some water in there and you can't see it you have to breathe and go you're okay relax relax right. sort it out so that's um you know it's quite a, an interesting way to to compare them um and it, you know you're talking about swimming in the, the ocean and stuff um a, a, a lot of a lot of that work a lot of that work ties into self-talk and being able to communicate um and and this actually uh circles all the way back to the fear management man is yeah. is how do you talk to yourself because that moment of <clears throat> oh i can't see i can't breathe oh here comes another set oh yeah. fuck yeah. hold your breath relax you know uh, I, I mean i can i can relate that to you know and and, and i can i have examples of swimming and, and having that issue and i can relate that to you know, getting caught flush on the chin and going shit and having to go, okay, step back, put my hands up, tie up, turn them, let the referee do his job. And I could turn that into, you know, rolling, being in a bad position, recover to a good position, relax, try and regain guard and and and, and, and just relax myself. So I, I can tie them all together. And I think they all, you know, one helps other. And um, it's, it's interesting. An, an interesting exercise to just be able to relax and recover and have this is how we get back to the safe point you know be okay in this safe point well what what happens is this so the way the way i <clears throat> communicate about fear is i, I created a uh, and we'll, we'll send you a link to the graphic that you can share i created something called the cycle of behavior and it's like a script map that says here's your scenario and here's a generic stimulus that puts you in the fear loop. And this is what goes on in the fear loop. And you got to get out of the fear loop. And so there's steps that you can take. And not every one of them is meaningful or relevant, but it just shows you, you know, like if you're in the fear loop, you're stuck. What, what you're describing <clears throat> when you talk about, okay, I just got hit on the chin, like the inexperienced fighter, you know, falls back covers up and he's just leaning on the ropes and opening his body for body shots or the guy to come in with a superman punch or or whatever because he 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 panics uh you had good coaching or good intuition or a combination mm -hmm. you know uh but what's what you're actually describing are is is stages steps in your mind of what you're going to do because you know if you do this 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 you can get to here. Yeah. And, and so you've described to me, I'm interpreting that as, is you've got like this roadmap. I'm lost. No, you're not. This is, you got to go here. You're just taking a fucking detour to get back on the, <laughs> you know, back on the route that you were on. And that was that you, uh, I remember it was really funny. It just popped in my head. Um, you know, I've been around uh, uh, fighters, combatives for, for decades. So my kids have, and when we moved to California 12 years ago from Virginia Beach, uh, I was doing a lot of shit. And I said to my daughter, uh, Olivia, who was uh, eight years old at the time, I said, hey, listen, I've been on the road a lot, a lot of crazy shit traveling. I want to just spend a weekend with you. What do you want to do? We're, we're in San Diego area. We've got uh, um, uh, 
I forget what they call it, or SeaWorld down here. You got Disney up in Irvine. Uh, we got mountains, we got ocean. What do you want to do? She goes, she says, take me to a UFC. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like really? She goes, yeah. I go, okay, we got to come. You got to tell your mom that you said that because she's going to think that I told you to say that, right? Like she's not going to believe that an eight-year-old wants to go to Vegas, right? And uh, she goes, okay. So uh, I, I, I take her and I, you know, back, this was before SEG, you know, before uh, um, they sold the Fertitas, sold that big, big merger. So I, I knew Dana and people and I would get tickets and, and get in. Now you can't, you know, like, I mean, yeah. certain people can't, I'm not at that tier anymore, but, okay. but, but I, I could get in there and get, she like, so I took her there, um, took her inside the stadium when they're still building the octagon and she met fighters and got autographs and we had really cool seats and uh, Diego Sanchez is fighting and he's getting his ass kicked by somebody and all these drunks are around us yelling, Kimura, our bar, trying. They're, they're screaming shit that doesn't even make sense because they're all drunk, right? You know, drunk. You've, I'm sure you guys have sat at fights I'll and they don't, know that, they, don't, <laughs> they don't know that you're a fighter, right? So guys are going, man, this guy sucks. He's, and you're like, dude, you have no fucking clue. And, uh, and uh, so she's, she's eight years old, man. And these guys are screaming and everything. And she looks at me and goes like this. She looks at me and goes, and rolls her eyes. I go, why'd you roll your eyes? She goes, these guys, they're so dumb. I go, not too loud. There's more of them than us. And, uh, <laughs> and she goes, uh, I, I go, what do you mean? I go, like, I go, like they're yelling the wrong commands to him. Mm. And uh, they're like, it's triangle joke, you know, like, and I go, well, if you were coaching Diego, what would you tell him? And this is the eight, this is the eight year old's advice. Obviously, dad, he needs to stop getting punched so much. <laughs> like that was it. Stop, advice. stop getting advice. hit. Right. So anyways, a funny little story that somehow popped into my head there. That actually reminds me of being at, um, uh, I was at a boxing show and um I think it was in our broth up on uh, you know kind of east coast up past Dundee, and uh, I remember the, the coaches. There was a guy and you know, he's getting his ass kicked, and his coaches were shouting at him, "Throw the right fucking hand! Throw a right fucking hand!" And I and I can remember thinking, "But he isn't in rage, right? Like why not? Why not tell him? Why not coach him how to close right. distance? This is how we cut a ring off. Just you can't just throw a right hand. This is his coaches, and I'm thinking." This guy fucking for real. It just yeah. it was it's one of those things where you just going, yeah, that's awesome. How do you get there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know, it's it's funny is uh um <clears throat> I was um you know Ben Bergeron is he's uh, yeah, 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 he, yeah, yeah. yeah crossfit guy, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> so he's like one of the winningest coaches in CrossFit. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um coach, you know, you know, Matt Fraser and and mm -hmm. and and you know Sigmund's daughter and all yeah, that. Like, David's daughter and all those, those those girls. Yeah. Yeah. So I've known I've known him for years and and have been involved in the CrossFit world for many many years uh, years ago. And uh, we were talking about because I've got like hundreds of affiliates around the world and I coach coaches. I I train trainers. That's one of my main business. And. Uh, and I teach them, what's the difference between a teacher and a coach? What's the difference between being technical and being tactical? And what is the coach's journey? 
and I'm telling Ben this and he goes, well, what is the coach's journey? And I say, it's technician, trainer, coach, but most everyone calls himself a coach, but they're really technicians or trainers. They're like, throw the right hand. That's not coaching. Like, like that's, that's like saying, widen your stance, make, make a fist. Like, you know, yeah. and, and so I would say that the technician understands like, like the static elements of the game, widen your stance, get your foot to the outside, uh, keep your hands up, get your hands lower, faint, it's like little, little, and then the trainer understands things to develop the skill set. So that the, 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 the corner man as a coach, he might say, Hey, listen, you need to stay to the outside more, but that's to me, that's trainer advice. If we're being like in, in these literal hats, technician, trainer, coach, the coach, his sole role is to inspire performance. And, and I tell this story uh, uh, sometimes, and I'm going to share part of it now as a, as a, as a teenage skier in a big competition, uh, I remember being at the top of the hill. It was above the tree line. So it was freezing as shit. You know, the wind is blowing and I've already pissed like five times. I'm so nervous for this race. I'm a nervous athlete. Right. But what do I look like? I'm like this, you know, I got the, the latest, greatest ski equipment on it's freezing up there. And you're, you're here like this and you're warming up and you're stretching and you know, I'm on skis. I was about to throw some punches. And, but I, my coach says to me, he goes, how do you feel, kid? And I look at him and I lie and I go, great, coach. Because we don't teach our athletes to be honest, but it's also on the part of the coach or the teacher or the mentor or the guardian to go, listen, even if you're scared, I need you to tell me, maybe I can help. And I go, oh, I just remembered a great fight story. You guys are going to love this. But I'm there and my coach says, I, like I lied to his face and I said, great coach. And he goes, okay, cool. Listen, the ice is get, the, the uh, course is getting icy. The middle of the course gate 50, take that high and outside. There's a huge rut there, you know, stay away from that because everyone's getting caught in that. I got it. I take off like a batter to hell, shh, circumvent that, that big rut, get down there. I'm three gates from the finish line. I catch my tip, wipe out, get disqualified. I fall so hard. I fall through the gate. And I tell people this, like years later, I realized that when I was standing there waiting to go and I'm going three ready skier ready, you know, all I was thinking about is if I'm so good, why am I so scared? Mm. And I remember thinking that line and, 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 and the first time I said it, my eyes teared up. I was in a seminar. I was teaching in Australia. The first time I said it to the group and there were a bunch of adults in there. And I said, I said, if I'm so good, why am I so scared? Cause everyone had told me, everyone had told me how good I was. Are you guys frozen? I think you froze for a second. Now you're back. Um, and I remember my eyes tearing up and a couple of the adults in the class, you could see them go and they realized dreams that they had abandoned in their life because they misinterpreted fear for skill or fear for ability because they fixated on the fear too much. Very, very subtle um, and very heavy. So this is one of the things that as a coach, 
when I'm training trainers to become coaches, I'm, I'm teaching them like it's not a one size fits all. You, you don't read this book on self-help and coaching and then spray that across all your athletes, whether they're fighters or skiers or, or, or combat specialists. And I'll give you a great, great story that, that I, I think you guys are going to dig. There's this kid, Sean, that I was coaching kickboxing. This is back in, in the late 80s, early 90s. And he was fighting for an amateur kickboxing title. And I don't know if it's the same in Scotland, but amateur, amateur fights are three rounds. And if you fight for a title as an amateur, it's a four-round fight. Is it the same for you guys? No, it's, um, they're all three, three-minute rounds. Okay. Yeah. So in kickboxing back in, in Canada, then it was three rounds as an amateur. And then the, the uh, um, title fight was a four rounder. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember being in, we were in the Paul Silva arena, which is a famous boxing arena in Montreal. And uh, so it had a lot of history and there were, uh, it was a, it was a pro-am uh, uh, you know, professionals and amateurs fighting and, uh, we're in there and it's like, it's like the bottom of like Rocky one, you know, like, uh, the paints coming off the wall, like old, you know, the echo, the hallway, it's like, like spooky and intimidating. And there's this kid, Sean, that I'm coaching and he's up there and he's moving around and he's shadow boxing and he's doing stuff. And, uh, you guys probably know this, but for your listeners, uh, amateur kickboxing, you need to get an eight kick minimum in, and in, in you got to throw eight, a minimum of eight kicks, uh, blah, blah, blah. The, uh, the rings are 16-foot rings, so your foot on outside, you're 14 feet away. So that's the, the, the setup. I say to Sean, I go, hey, Sean. And I'm remember, I'm formulating, this, this is the late 80s, I'm formulating my cerebral self-defense, mental edge, no fear. Wasn't a name then, but I'm, I'm, I know I'm onto something. And so I'm incorporating it. I realized the people who manage their fear manage to fight, that that's where it starts. The mind navigates the body. So I say to Sean, I go, Sean, how do you feel, kid? And uh, he goes, good, coach. I'm nervous, but I feel good. And I look at him, I go, you're supposed to be fucking nervous. Remember that. You're about to get in a fight. And even if you're standing, or not even, when you're standing across from the guy and he's standing there, look, this is the Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, um, uh, um, Roberto Duran era hands of stone and i go even if this guy's standing there and he's looking at you like like duran hands of stone right just his face is here that inside his fucking heart is pounding and he's got adrenaline raging through his system but his stoic his stoic persona is let's fucking roll but inside he's like i'm about to get in a fight Mm -hmm. And he goes, thanks, coach. Punch gloves with him. I go sit down and I'm like gloating. I'm a little pride. Look at my, my guy who's assisting in the corner. Like that's how it's done. You know, I'm like a little cocky, like, like, like this is like out of a Rocky movie. Right. And, uh, but something starts to nag at me. And this is what I mean. The difference between a coach and a trainer. And I tell people that intuition whispers in our ear and we either listen to it or we don't. Something starts to nag at me and I go, what's fucking bothering me? Like that was a good answer. But then I realized this, I gave him a fucking meme. I gave him a fortune cookie. I said, you've got nothing to fear, but fear itself. Thanks coach. You know, like, like, right. I gave him some cool, you know, Spartan, you know, like, like line. You're supposed to be nervous, right? Thanks coach. So I look at him. I say, Sean, 
He goes, yeah, coach. I go, uh, I got to apologize for my answer. He goes, why? It was great. It relaxed me. I go, yeah, but I didn't ask you why you were nervous. I just told you it's okay to be nervous. Why are you fucking nervous? You guys, he see how subtle this is? Yeah. And he looks at me and he goes, it's stupid. I don't even talk about it, which means it was something. And I said, it's not stupid if you know what it is. What is it? He goes, nah, it's like, it's, it's silly. I go, tell me what it is. Cause I'm thinking his girlfriend's ringside, his mother's ringside. Uh, he injured his ribs in training, but didn't want to pull out the fight and didn't want like what, cause each thing that it can be. And for those coaches listening to this call, if you don't identify what your kid's fear is, what your wife's fear is, your husband's fear is your business associates fear is just saying, it's okay. We're supposed to be nervous doesn't help you get tactical or strategic as quickly as you can. You still may adapt, but if I know exactly what the problem is, right? Yeah. And so, like, I'm trying to guess really quickly, what are all the things that could, that could be distracting him? And he looks at me, he goes, it's stupid. I go, tell me, please. He goes, I know I, I've done 10 rounds in training. I know I've got the gas. I've got the stamina and endurance. But I keep thinking this is my first four round fight. I've never thought of fought a four round fight. And I know that four rounds for real with those little fucking ski gloves on, right? Uh, versus 16 ounce gloves is different than 10 rounds in the, in the gym sparring with sparring partners. I told you it was silly coach. And I look at him, I go, holy fuck. I would never have guessed that in a million years. Now as fighters on this call, if you're worried about your stamina, and you don't have a plan, does that maybe change your output? Or does that maybe make you go hard in the first round because you're worried that you might not make it to the fourth round? Or do you you coast a little bit and miss your eight count, your eight kick minimum? Yeah. And now you lose, you lose a round even though you could have dominated it by just throwing one other shitty front kick. And it was amazing to me. And I looked at him and I went, fuck. I said, Sean, I got you. And he looks at me, I go, can you do two rounds? He goes, yeah, of course. I said, so just do two rounds twice. And he smiles. He goes, okay. At the end of the second round, I got goosebumps right now. At the end of the second round, squirt some water in his mouth. And I look at him, I go, can you do two rounds? He goes, fuck yeah. I said, good. You got two rounds. In other words, I, and I, I teach this when I'm teaching multiple salients or anything else. I go, never let the math beat you. Yeah. Oh my God, I got to do a hundred pushups. Can you do 10 push-ups? Yeah. So just do 10 push-ups 10 times. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, you still may fail, but at least you gave yourself like a manageable chunk that you can start going. If you're worrying about the weight on your back, you're, you're, already, you're already slumped over going, I don't know if I can carry this. He goes out, and this is amazing. I, I said the size of the ring before, because in a four, and when you're 14 feet away from the other corner, you can hear them talk. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, when I, at the end of the second round, I said, Hey, can you do two rounds? He goes, yes, coach. The other corner. And, and you know, that you, you know, this Chris, from your earlier fights, you've adapted, you know, your, your confidence and your, your own awareness of, of the event from your first fight to your fifth fight, to your 10th fight, to your 20th fight is fucking completely different. Like in your first to five fights, you're like, 
you know, you come back, what round is this? It's the second round. What do you mean? What round is this? <laughs> like you, you lose sense of time. Sometimes your feet, your legs feel like they're a hundred pounds each. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the second round, we heard the other guy say to his coach, coach, what round is this? It was like perfect, like in a shitty boxing movie. Anyways, he went out and won. He won it. Um, and he did all the work, but it was like, what we did is we broke down this, this long story is, is I hope, I hope if, if, if you're reading between the lines, we can't just have fortune cookies when we're looking at fear, we need to get just like any, any vision, mission, goal, task, the more specific you can get, the more tactical you can get. Yeah. It's funny, Tony, because you're, you're talking about that, um, about your guy talking about doing four rounds. We, uh, as the amateurs in, in, in Scotland, uh, I think the whole UK was the same, as, as a novice, so the, the class of novices under six fights, you did three two-minute rounds. Yep. And then once you stepped up to open class, it was three three-minute rounds. And the first time I had to do three threes, even though we did threes all the time in the gym, it yep. was like, fuck, it's an extra minute. Yeah. Three minutes. And it's and just just psychologically, it was a big thing. And I I I had the exact same thing as you as you, you were Interesting. talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and same thing. And 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 it's you know, all we spar is three minute rounds. Yeah. Every round is three minute rounds. Sure. Pads are three minute rounds. But to go from the two minute rounds to the three minute rounds in a fight was a different thing. Complete. I had yeah. the same same thing. And you do it, yeah. and you go, what "The fuck was that all about?" Right. And then you just move on, and it's not an issue. Yeah, and, and, but 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 some people overthink it, and and that and that's the self sabotage. Now they're they're not breathing properly, and now they're tighter, and their their muscles lack acid atrophy and all that shit. What I liked there was that was some uh, as you were describing that, as you were describing that, and the way you're talking to him, and the way you're thinking about it, and analyzing what you said. I was thinking, man, is this is this Tony or is this fucking Teddy Atlas? <laughs> <laughs> That's some that's some Teddy Atlas stuff where you know what he's telling Tim Bradley in the corner that he's a fireman and we embrace the fire. That's the, that's what I was right. that's what I was thinking in my head there. That's Teddy Atlas. There's 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 it, it's it's interesting. I love watching I love watching like a Damato or Atlas or or uh, um, Greg Jackson. Uh, you know, like a certain uh, corner man. You know, you see Greg Jackson in the corner. Stressful round. Take a deep breath, man. Yeah, you feeling okay? Only. Okay, you're doing good. Follow the plan. Like it's not, it's yeah. not, he's not screaming at the guy. Throw your right. <laughs> you know, you know, you want to hear a great story? You just because you guys love fighters. Um, when when Sugar Ray Leonard fought Duran, they fought their first fight in Montreal, mm-hmm. and um, so I lived there. So I, I'm at my school, and it comes on the news. You know, uh, Duran Leonard at the Olympic Stadium. And I said to a bunch of, a bunch of my athletes, there, I said, oh, my God, Sugar Ray Leonard's my favorite fighter. I can't wait to meet him. And they go, what do you mean you can't wait to meet him? How are you going to meet him? Like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. So I figured it out. I ended up hanging out with him, playing 21 like it's a basketball game with him, hanging out with him, uh, taking his, his, his group uh, um, horseback riding, spending time. Uh, and then he came back for some uh, meetings regarding taxes and shit like that. Like several months later, uh, um, after he fought uh, uh, Duran in the no mass fight. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he came back in. Cause I think it was like five months later he fought. Yeah, yeah. 
and his whole uh, um, everything changed. Remember Dundee, he fired Dundee uh, and um, all sorts of stuff because everyone's like, like you just fought 15 round fight with Duran. You lost. Why are you taking this fight like five months later or eight months later, whatever it was in New Orleans. And, um, and I remember hearing that he was back in town for some meetings and I, I said, I wonder like if he'll get together with me. I mean, we hung out at the first fight, but whatever. But he was like 23, I was 20. So I sent a, I sent a message to his lawyer at the hotel and he invites me, he invites me over. No way. And he's alone in his room. And uh, we're there and I just gotten back from, uh, I helped set up a place called the World of Bruce Lee in Hollywood, California at the time. It was 1980. And uh, and I'm showing Sugar Ray Leonard pictures of my this photo album with me uh, uh, at some of the martial art magazines. And here's a picture of me with Bruce Lee's mom and Linda Lee and the World of Bruce Lee. And I had a picture of, uh, we had allegedly Bruce's uh, Game of, Duth, uh, game, game of uh, Death tracksuit you know, that yellow and black tracksuit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had it in the showcase where we were staying there. We had keys to the place. So like one night, uh, me and my friend, like <laughs> I put on Bruce Lee's tracksuit and <laughs> took pictures of it. And who knows if it was the real one they said it was, but um, so Leonard sees it. He's a huge Bruce Lee fan. He gives me money to go to Chinatown to get him a game of death tracksuit. I'm sitting on the floor hanging out. Like, like I'm, I'm like, part of me is going in this picture here and it's like Sugar Leonard right here. And then part of me is going, oh my fucking God. Like this guy, <laughs> this is like one of the greatest boxers ever to live. And I'm blown away. And he's a Bruce Lee fan and we're yakking. And, uh, and I asked him, I said, I said, like, can you explain to me or talk to me about the whole like Angelo Dundee thing? Like, don't you need him to coach you? And he said, at the level I'm at right now, if Angela Dundee needs to tell me what to do, he should be fighting the fighter in the ring and I shouldn't be inside the rope. I thought that was really interesting. And it really like a weird anecdote just because we're talking about trainers and coaches. And, and, and what made me think about that, I haven't told that story, I think, ever on a podcast, um, is when I thought about, let's say, Greg Jackson with a fighter who, let's say, lost a round or won a round, his demeanor was the same. Yeah. It was like, hey, take a deep breath. Okay, now you can have some water. Like, it was very ritualized. There wasn't like, dude, what are you doing? Like, he wasn't hysterical, right? And so it didn't matter, win or lose, we had a game plan. Yeah. And, and we, knew, we knew what we had to do. And then I just flashed to, like, Sugar Ray Leonard saying, like, when you're at that level, your coach shouldn't be saying, you need to, you need to throw the right. <laughs> yeah. there's something else there's something else missing in your you know uh in, in your training if he's telling you tactics and, inside the fight and funnily enough and and the, the no mass fight uh you know sugar ray made roberto duran look like a fucking idiot yeah like a novice amateur he was amazing took him to school in that fight and um one of my favorite fights yeah that's um yeah, it's uh, that that generation of boxing was, and, and funnily enough, I, I was talking to that guy. Um, you know when you you know speak to somebody in the sauna, and they, they talk about boxing. You spend a lot of time in saunas with men. I, I do. Yeah, just, we're just just observing. It just comes up yeah. a lot. 
I mean, we're naked and we're rubbing oil into each other, but that's, you know. No, I thought uh, I was going to ask no towels, of course, but go ahead. It's a different story, but everybody likes to talk about fighting and they don't really understand what they're talking about. So, no, it's a guy talking to me about, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard and he's saying, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard was, and he's, he's, see, but people forget about that generation. They, they talk about, you know, the four kings. But you forget about, like, you know, Wilfred Benitez. Wilfred Benitez was an incredible fighter. Yeah. You know, and then he was, you know, he was he was asking about you know, who who do you think's people always say who do you think's the best fighter of all? You know, the best boxer of all time, Mike Tyson. And I'm like, no, no. And I and I I always give the answer partly to confuse people because I'm an asshole, and partly yeah. because I think it's genuinely true. And I would say Henry Armstrong, and they all go, who? <laughs> who box Henry Armstrong? Right. When, when there was eight divisions and there was one belt per division, Henry Armstrong failed. Three titles at the same time. That's great. Yeah. But nobody knows who he is. Um, but it's, it, you know, I, I, I love getting into these conversations with people. And, you know, it's usually in the sauna because everybody loves to talk. And everybody likes to think. But there was a fight and, you know, there was a big British fight. Uh, Amir Khan and Kel Brook on Saturday night. So people wanted to talk about boxing. and um, But generally, they don't have a fucking clue what they're talking about. Yeah. So we're just getting into that. But, uh, you know, that generation of the four kings were spectacular probably never be matched ever again in terms of four guys at that level who were all incredible um you know Hearns, leonard hagler yeah I, and, and and my fa- my favorite favorite fighter sugar robinson mm-hmm. like just all around like you know personality demeanor uh uh he could stay at the outside but if he hurt you he could move in um was, yeah, i, I love robinson the best punch, I mean, arguably the best punch ever thrown was was uh, Sugar Ray uh, Robinson's left hook against, was it Gene Filmer? The one that's that... that it, it was so fast that it was, it was incredible, beautiful. Um, I think it was Gene Filmer he fought. So I, I don't want I don't want you to hate me because I love I love boxing, but in one of my trips to um, to uh, this is actually crazy. I just got goosebumps all over my body. Because I've had significant male role models like Robert Conrad in the original Wild Wild West, mm-hmm. uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson. I used to, uh, when I was really really into into boxing for years. I mean, I was, but like like during the eighties, yeah. um, I would like get up five six in the morning like in in the dead of winter in a blizzard uh i would go for a run come back watch robinson fights while i ate breakfast to and started my start of my day and i wasn't even a boxer that's just what i did i mean i had my martial arts school i was teaching self-defense but Mm -hmm. boxing was always like a foundational pillar in everything we did um but in terms of male role models uh robert conrad sugary leonard Stallone and Rocky in 1976 when Rocky one came out. Yep. Um, and uh, 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 who else? There was one more. Ah, fuck. But I ended up stunt doubling Robert Conrad. I, I was a stunt man for a while. Stunt doubling Conrad uh, and became friends with him to the point where like on, on a few trips when I'd go out to LA to do stuff for the martial art magazines, we'd get together for dinner and and chat, uh, when when he first did his movie in Montreal, 
I wanted to meet, I was like, oh my God, Robert Conrad. Like I grew up, I was six years old watching the Wild Wild West, watching fight scenes. Oh, and my, of course, the other icon was Bruce Lee, who passed away when I was 13. But I became friends with Brandon Lee, worked on, uh, you know, worked on a move with Brandon, became good friends with him, um, became not friends with Sugar Ray Leonard, but hung out with Leonard and, and, and spent time with him. Uh, worked on Rocky Five through a connection with Ringside. And I had done some work with Tommy Morrison. And when he got the gig on Rocky Five, you talk about somebody with fucking hands. He hit me with a body shot sparring one day that literally, you know, those, you know, those, what are those, uh, the gravity ball thing where you, you yeah, drop yeah, the ball here and the, the ball on the other side moves. And you he hit me. Yeah. He, he hit me here and I felt everything come out there. Um, um, but each one of these people who were iconic in my evolution or influence of me as a, as a fighter, as a coach, as, as a dad, as a man. And as I was telling you, um, I'm telling nine stories at once. Robert Conrad, when I, when I, in 1980, when I hung out with Sugar Ray Leonard, he gave me one of his Frank, he gave me his Frank, uh, Franklin, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard boxing tracksuit and t-shirt. You couldn't buy them anywhere. They were like for his team. So he gave me, he gave me this. I showed up on the set. I knew that Robert Conrad was a semi-pro boxer okay. back in the day. Martial artist, but he loved boxing. I show up with this, this, this exclusive, you can't get it, Sugar Ray Leonard boxing shirt on, and I see him staring at me. So I, I walk over to like the, the food table where he's, he's hanging out, and he looks at me. This is the first day on the set. And I see him looking at my shirt, and I go, uh, you know this guy? He goes, he goes, uh, he looks at me. I said, you like boxing? <laughs> and he, he goes, he goes, yeah. I said, I got a gym. He said, do you have any heavy bags? I said, 10. He said, I'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. I said, okay. And we exchanged info. And I called up one of my guys. Uh, and I said, you got to meet me at the gym at 530. He goes, what? Fuck. We, uh, we, we never opened at that time. Okay. I like sleeping in like, and uh, I get there, I'm in the ring beating the shit out of one of my, one of my assistant instructors when Conrad comes in, like all, like, I just wanted him to see what we do. And uh, he, we, he trained with me for like 30 days, just would come in, hit the bags, do some stuff. And we became buddies. Like I said, um, then I'm in LA on business. And I read an article about the Sugar Ray Robinson Foundation that's in, it's in uh, Los Angeles. So I, I, in my rental car, I go find it and I go in, there's this, you know, elderly secretary there. And I'm like, Sugar Ray Robinson is my, oh my God. Like I used to, like I'd watch fights of him every day. And I said, is there any chance that I could meet Mr. Robinson? And she said, look, he's in his 80s now. We don't know when he comes in. He comes in, he signs some autographs. And she says, to be honest with you, you seem like a sweet guy. He has, you know, dementia from all the hitting and everything. And he sometimes he doesn't even know. We just get him to sign a few things and, and he just comes in. And I said, well, do you mind if I just wait just in case? She says, okay, but like sometimes he doesn't come in all week. I sit there three and a half hours later. He starts, he walks in and I'm like, oh my God. And uh, 
she introduces us. He says, come in my office. We're going to his office. And you could see he's like disoriented. He goes, where are you from? I said, I said, sir, I'm from Montreal, Canada. And he sits up, he goes, Montreal. He said, I fought so-and-so. And as soon as he started talking about fighting, it was like he was 30 years old. And I stayed with him for like an hour talking about fighting. It was completely Wait. lucid. We took pictures, the autograph photo. And I, 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 could, I might start crying right now. It was so emotional because he was yeah. so lucid. He remembered fighting in Montreal and it all, uh, it, it was amazing. But every one of those, Stallone, I became friends. I'm not friends with them anymore. I mean, we lost contact. But, uh, you know, uh, Stallone, Sugar Ray Leonard, Brandon Lee, kind of fucking crazy, man. Sugar Ray Robinson, that is fucking unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Isn't that crazy? Totally. I had, um, there's a great picture that I, uh, uh, I, I, you know, I had to save someplace. I can't remember what I did with it. There's a great image that I had um, for a while, and it was um, it was Sugar Ray Robinson in his prime, you know, so it must have been in the in the fifties, and he had a, a pink pink Cadillac, and it was outside. Yeah. He, uh, he had a, a a bar or a restaurant in Harlem, in New York, and it was just Sugar Ray and his, you know, all these best clothes with his pink Cadillac outside his restaurant. And you're like, fuck! Imagine being Sugar Ray Robinson in Harlem in right. the fifties, like fuck. Yeah, and that's, that's why I loved him because because again he was so tough and such a good fighter. But he was like he he was the perfect gentleman. He was he was he was a businessman. He was polite. And you, you remember when he had that dream about about uh, he had a dream that he was going to kill his opponent in a fight, right, and he yeah. wanted to call off the fight. And they said it's just a dream, and he ended up doing that. Holy yeah. shit! Yeah, that's, crazy. Um, that's uh, yeah, that's unbelievable, Tony. I don't think there's a We've been going for about an hour and you know, an hour and twenty minutes. So what are we uh I can't, I can't think I can't think of a better place to leave a podcast than talking about Sugar Ray Robinson. What I will say is I think we'll have about another five or six podcasts here just talking about fighting, to be honest with you. <laughs> right. But, um, Anytime um, this this was fun and and uh I didn't understand a word either of you said, but yeah. hopefully <laughs> hopefully it, it pieced together. You know yeah, what I do yeah. want to I do want to say something because we're talking about boxing. Of course. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a plan until they get hit in the face. Everyone, everyone says Mike Tyson said that. And anytime they say that, I go, no, Mike Tyson paraphrased that. It was the great Joe Lewis that said the original. You've heard that, like every like there's memes around. Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. It wasn't Tyson. Do you know that, of course, right? I did not know that. I didn't know. Okay, there you go. I figured you would. I figured you would, but it was the uh, it was Joe Lewis that said almost something to the effect of, you know, everyone's going to plan until they get hit. Of course. And then Tyson, but, and people don't realize that people misattribute it to Tyson all over the place. And if I'm close to them or friends with them, I'll, I'll DM them privately, not on their post. I'll go, Hey, just, just so you know, bit look, I'm, I'm not a major one, but I'm a bit of a boxing historian. And, but Mike Tyson was a boxing historian too. He loved those guys. Yeah, he was. And so he he quoted it one day, and because he was contemporary, people attribute it to him. But no, because was... we're because we're talking about um, you know the pressure and all this kind of stuff of fighting. Could you imagine the pressure of being Joe Lewis fighting Max Schmelin the second time? You know, rising Nazi Germany, and uh, was it Roosevelt had invited him? 
to the White House and said, Joe, we need your muscles for, for democracy. Yeah. And yeah. he went out there and annihilated Mark Schmelin. And they, the I mean, they, the, they the world was different back then, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's insane. Like the pressure on you. And then like Ali was saying, yeah. when Joe Lewis got into some financial trouble, Mark Schmelin became, I think he was the head of Coca-Cola in Europe. And uh, Max Mellon took care of Joe Lewis. It's just amazing. amazing right? that was, yeah, amazing, man. Absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, that was uh, interesting. I, you know, genuinely, I feel like we've got some. A lot, I don't know if it's. Uh, I don't know if it's our end or your end, Tony. We've had some uh, a lot of bit connection issues. It's been kind of freezing back and forward. So um, just, just twice for a couple of seconds. It froze. Yeah, we, we had a, it a couple. Okay so um, but yeah, if. Uh, you know, if you if you've got time, we could do it again, and we could. I could talk. I could talk fighting all day. That's that's. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm happy to. Uh, you know, uh, um, you know, if the, if there's uh, interest, happy happy to do do another show with you guys. One one thing. Um, uh, what what size of uh, just because we talked about William uh, uh, about uh, uh, Loch Ness monster earlier on, what size of uh, top do you wear? Um, XL. I usually I like my my. Okay. Sh- T-shirts, yeah, XL. Okay. Okay. So, what I'm going to do is, I have, uh, I made a rash guard, and uh, for jiu-jitsu, and it's, um, it's uh, William Wallace, rear okay. naked choke on Loch Ness monster. It's fucking huh. really cool with tartan sleeves and everything. Nice. Uh, but I don't have any XLs left. What I'll do is I'll try and get my guy to make some, and uh, we'll try and get one over to you. Over to you. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, no rash. Do you, do you make them in t-shirts or just a rash guard? Just, I mean, uh, listen, you for you, that's, Tony, that's cool. for you uh, if you want a t-shirt, I'll get them to make you a t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're printing stuff, throw a shirt in there and, uh, and send me your, send me your address and your sizes. Yeah, I'll send you some goodies. This was fun. I, I don't think, I don't know what your audience demographics like, but a lot of them are like, they didn't even fucking talk about it. All they just talk about boxing the whole fucking time. Like, it, what else is yeah. up? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> too bad, guys. Too bad. Um, yeah, it's um, what a great, you know, the the original sweet science. A lot to learn there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think next time we can go into some some more details about different areas of fighting. There was things that we haven't talked about, but um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it was brilliant, but there's so many things I want to talk to you about in terms of fighting other martial arts and stuff. But well, um, we'll keep that. We'll keep that for the next. You know what? Hey. The next time, maybe maybe you're in Scotland and we could do it in person. Yeah, yeah. If the world if the world normalizes, yeah, um, weird weird shit. But uh, but we'll see. I mean, like I used to I used to come over there every year at least once. Uh, and kind of kind of. Uh, kind of miss it like three years ago or, or actually I, w- I was actually in the UK when they closed the borders and Heathrow was the last airport open. Oh. I, was, I was actually teaching uh, there and I was like, should I go home or not? And then it was like, I woke up to, okay, USA is closed. The only airport out, you know, working in Europe was Heathrow or in, in not, uh, I think it was the only one certainly in England. Yeah. Um, so yeah kind of kind of weird but uh yeah i got a lot of friends over there and uh, uh love love scotland for its history and and, and people and uh do either of you guys golf just very very badly yeah not for really yeah, too. yeah yeah not for a long time but yeah, i, I we, also we have, played have i also played st andrews badly many many years ago yeah, friends at yeah, yeah. 
played it really yeah. badly as well. So. Uh, I love the I love the history up there. But no, like happy to do another one. You guys were a lot of fun to talk about, and we could, you know, get into more more specific stuff uh, as yeah. far as training or fighting or what, or whatever you want to talk about. Awesome. awesome. Um, start winding this down. But just before we finally do, if you want to send anyone your way, uh, Tony, where can we send them on Instagram, the internet? You got anything you want to shout out? We'll add this in the notes as well. So because I'm a because I'm a threat to uh, to uh, democracy, I'm shadow banned on Instagram. Uh, but you can try to follow me uh, at Tony Blower, and it'll warn you. Are you sure you want to follow this guy? And uh, <laughs> uh, but I, uh, my main main my my corporate website is BlowerTrainingSystems.com. My last name B L A U E R TrainingSystems.com. Uh, if the stuff on fear management is of interest to you. I think my office probably sent you links to our ebook, Making Friends with Fear. I tell people start there. Uh, it's only nine pages long, uh, but it took me 40 years to write those nine pages. Uh, most people won't read a long book, but but it's it's really a summation of some of my my most potent ideas on on changing a relationship with fear. And um, but yeah, Blower Training Systems will take you to all our verticals, our law enforcement, military training, our scenario training the coaching side of stuff and i'm on all the other you know you know linkedin and facebook just google tony blower awesome awesome thank you well thank you very much i think you may be the most interesting person in, certainly for us as fight fans you might be the most <laughs> interesting person in the world um uh and um, uh you know some of those stories are incredible and uh, i don't know i don't know about the most interesting but i'll i'll if it bumps me from if you are you going to interview me instead of marcus on the first of the year because of that or i mean uh, i mean what about what uh, about the idea of getting what, you both what about both together all that'd be funny we should do a show like that okay I'd, I'd, happy to, I'd happy to do that yeah we can get that organized for there's a date then january what 23 it'll be won't it yeah, we can do more. Maybe I mean, maybe that maybe we could do that for for a, a podcast before then. That would be that sounds yeah. like a like yeah. yeah. We, 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 I I know that he and I would jump on next week to do one just to fuck around. I mean, it'd be awesome if we're not if we're not booked someone. Okay, gentlemen, it was so good to meet you. Um, Wait, stay right. safe and yeah, uh, and uh, hit me up whenever. Awesome, awesome. Well, episode seventy six of the Stelly Goose Gang. Let's call it done and dusted. Silly Goose Gang Podcast. <laughs>